The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. See what the Spirit of God is saying for us here in His Word today. Third John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This is God's word and it is for God's people. The story is told about an eight-year-old boy whose mom and dad had some company over after church and uh, the mom was frantically preparing a meal. Something burned. It didn't turn out quite the way she was expecting. So when they all sat down, she looked at her eight-year-old son. She said, would you like to pray for the meal? And he said, well, Mom, I don't know what I would say. And he said, well, just say what you think your mom would say. And so he bowed his head and he said, dear God, why in the world did I invite all these people for lunch today? Sometimes hospitality, hosting a meal, can bring out the me first in all of us. It can be stressful. And yet, it can be a great joy. Alexandra Strzok uh, once said that it is hospitality is the missing crown jewel in the church today. And where we saw last Sunday, there are times to say, no, I'm not going to let this guy or this gal into my home church and hand them the mic and say, talk about Jesus when they 
have a false gospel. So there's a time we say, no, I'm not going to welcome that. But today, we see that there is a time to welcome strangers into our home, to provide meals and lodging, and to send them out with our blessing and with everything they need. And uh, I want you to know that this is not just something for the early church. It is something for all of the church age. Listen to these words from Hebrews 13, verse 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Probably thinking back to the Old Testament when Lot and Abraham had some angels show up and they put out the red carpet for them, not knowing they were angels. Basically saying, if you open your table, your life and your home, to people you never know. God may surprise you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says this, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. There was an L.A. Times writer who visited some churches to find out how friendly and loving they were. And then he kind of gathered his data and uh, rated his visitation experiences according to a point system. Here's what he did. He said, the greeters at the door got two points. I would give our greeters more than that. He said, the prepackaged form letter from the pastor got three points. The coffee hour got about five points. I would definitely give our coffee bar way more than that. So we may not agree with his point system, but here's the thing I want you to see. He said, personal invitations to dinner got 60 points. Personal invitations to dinner got 60 points. I think what we see is a template in the book of 3 John for practicing hospitality. And if you're taking notes, I would urge you to kind of put this down and then we're going to build our time in God's Word around this point. Here it is. Gospel community thrives as we share our lives and homes with others. Gospel community thrives when we share our lives and our homes with other people. Christians from redemption, neighbors, people that are traveling, that know Christ and they're on mission for Christ as we are. Man, gospel community is going to thrive. You know, we, what an image sticks in my mind. There's a, a dear brother who shared with me that he, Served on a church staff for eight years. Really good, solid church, by the way. And uh, he said every Sunday for eight years, he and his wife and their kids were hoping somebody would invite them over for dinner. And he said not one time in eight years did they get an invite after church on Sunday. Well, according to Paul in Romans 12, verse 13... This isn't really optional. It's really an obligation. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's something that transcends time. Now, I, my wife and I have been at Redemption for four months, and we have been encouraged by your hospitality in so many ways. 
And I would just say to you, in the words of Paul, writing to the Thessalonican church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, for many of you this morning, just keep excelling in what you're already doing. Maybe the last time you had somebody over, the company stayed a little bit too late, or the kids were a little bit too messy, or your spouse was a little bit too unraveled. And so you're like, Ugh. no, excel still more. You're loving one another well, just keep doing it. Maybe you're here like that dear brother and you go from church to church or maybe you've been here for a while and you've never stepped, dipped your toe into the pool of hospitality. It's like we're waiting for the toddlers to get a little older. We're waiting for the teenagers to leave the house. We're waiting to get into the bigger house. Our house is too nice or it's not nice enough. Our space is not big enough. And so we... It's something we want to get to, but it never quite seems to get there. And so really my goal is twofold. If you're already engaged in this, man, just keep doing it. Keep welcoming. Keep opening up your life. Keep opening up your home for other people. I mean, that's really where we learn the Christian life, isn't it? I'll tell you a lot of the things I learned about marriage and raising a family was when I was a teenager and I was in the home of my older brother and sister-in-law watching the way they disciplined and discipled their kiddos in real time. With all the irks, wasn't always perfect. But man, I learned more from that than any book that somebody could have handed me. It all comes through hospitality. And so I think uh, we have a great opportunity this morning to use the example in this house church in the first century world as a template for learning to grow in hospitality. And there's really four things. First thing I want you to write down, and we'll talk about it, that our God, when hospitable people, you can put this down, celebrate and give cause for celebration. I think one of the greatest blessings of having people in our home over the years is to hear their testimony of how God has transformed their lives through faith in Christ. And as you look at verses 1 to 4 and also verse 12, we see this uh, idea of testimony, of hearing, verse 4, of testifying to your truth, verse 3, down in verse 12, a guy by the name of Demetrius who many believe actually delivered this one-page letter from John in another location to his friend Gaius at this particular house church. So he was a hand deliverer. He was the FedEx guy or the mailman, possibly. And so what we see in verse 12 is Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself. And then John and his associates, possibly his brothers and sisters in his house church, they said, we had our testimony. We know Demetrius is a good guy. More than a good guy, he's filled with Jesus. And you know that our testimony is true. So you have all of this recommendation thing going on. Ah, a letter of recommendation. Think about it. You get a reference letter, right? When somebody doesn't know you, they say, you know, Cade's a good guy. You can trust him. Let him in. That's what they were doing. They were giving Demetrius two thumbs up. And there was this interchange between these two house churches, one where John was and one where Gaius was. And Demetrius maybe is the middleman. 
And they're saying, you know, the testimony is true. Gaius is walking in the truth. Demetrius is walking in the truth. Now, let me say that starts with a clear testimony of their conversion to Jesus Christ. One of the blessings of being of your pastors here at Redemption is in step three of membership is to sit down and listen to your gospel story. What a beautiful thing that is. To, to realize afresh that your testimony is not about what you do for God, it's about what God has done for you in Christ. It is about the fact that I could never measure up to God's perfect standard. So Jesus, as eternally God, in a point, at a point in time became a human. And he lived the life that I could not live. And he died the death on the cross that I deserve to die. And God the Father was 100% satisfied that what Jesus did on the cross was all that was necessary to turn his righteous anger aside. And he raised Jesus from the dead three days later. And so when a guy by the name of Gaius or Demetrius shows up at redemption, maybe through step three, maybe around your dining room table, maybe just sitting out in the foyer together between or after services, what a blessing it is to affirm that that person is walking in the truth, that they affirm the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection, salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So the testimony starts there and it never gets away from that. But there's more here because I think what you see here is that these two men, Gaius in 1 to 4, Demetrius in verse 12, they continue to live out in their lives what they affirm in their confession in the gospel. You see, there's not a great gap between what they say they believe and how they do life. We've got to understand a lot of this stuff plays out in real time in our homes when our kids are driving us bananas, right? When uh, the husband and wife are having a bit of a disagreement and, and you invite people into your life and into your home and they get to watch you live out the gospel in real life Wonder and mess. It's both, isn't it? Because this side of heaven, we are both sinners and we're saints. And it's a journey. And so you invite people to come into your life and into your home and sit at your table when the toast is burned, when it's overcooked, when the best thing you have in your pantry to serve them is ramen noodles. Nothing against ramen noodles. That was a good favorite in college. And I think what we see here is that if, if we were to show up, if your small group leader or one of your pastors was to meet one of your neighbors or co-workers at HEB, and your name came up in the conversation, and they said, hey, doesn't so-and-so Go to your church. So here's my question. If that were the conversation, would your small group leader or your pastor wince or smile? It might be a bit of yes and yes, because we're all a bit messy, right? <laughs> 
but hopefully it would be with great joy. And they said, yes, she goes to my small group. And probably they would affirm, yeah. And you know that the life lived and the gospel professed. There's not just a massive gap. That gap's getting narrower and closer and closer. So that's really, uh, before we leave this first point of celebrating the testimony of each other, um, let me just say this. This kind of catches your attention in verse 3. He says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers... Actually, verse 2. This is the one I wanted to point out. He says, At the elders' meetings on Monday afternoon, we have accountability questions. Each of us kind of report in. And one of the questions is, how did you do this week in terms of your fitness and eating? Here's the point. The reason I bring this up is a couple of reasons. One is that the body does matter because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of us. And I just wanted you to note that John, as concerned as he is about walking in the truth, he's like, I want you guys to prosper physically, like you're already prospering spiritually. But I want to mention this for a second reason as we think about celebration and, you know, celebrating the testimony of others. How many times have you rejoiced when a friend of yours or a family member says, man, I reached my dieting goal, I lost so many pounds. Yay, celebrate that. Here's the thing. The marker in Gaius' life was that he was so healthy spiritually, that John wanted his physical prosperity to catch up with his spiritual prosperity. So as much as we do want to celebrate the new house or, you know, the new large catch when we go fishing, those are things we can celebrate and wish for on people we love. Man, we just want them to catch up with where they're at in their journey with Jesus. Isn't that good? That's the best thing we can celebrate. So point number one, celebrate and give cause to your leaders to celebrate. Number two, gospel community thrives when hospitable people, and you can put this in your notes, share their treasure to advance what matters. You see that in verses 5 to 8? This really takes us to the heart of why I said that this book is a template for how we do hospitality. In this particular case, Gaius, a member of this house church, was hosting traveling evangelists, teachers, and preachers. you got to understand they didn't have Hampton Inn then. They didn't have GPS or McNally's roadmaps then. In fact, it is known that in the first century world, Inns were dangerous places. And you notice, look at it in the middle of this, the end of verse 7, they were to accept nothing from the Gentiles. Is that making fun of non-Jews? Not at all. It's a, it's a word picture to say they're not going to take money or provision from people that don't treasure Christ, from unbelievers. If you're in the ministry and you're set apart to do ministry, then your support should come from the ministry, not from going out, you know, trying to get money from unbelievers who haven't been transformed by the grace of Christ. So just a, a side note there. 
But so what had happened here is Gaius had a track record of welcoming true teachers of the gospel. I mean, they got it right. They were orthodox. They knew Jesus was the only way to the Father. There's an eternal heaven and an eternal hell. And only those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ alone will be in God's presence in heaven. So they, they, were, they may not have agreed on every jot and tittle of peripheral matters, but they got that right. They were walking in the truth. And so Gaius is welcoming him when, he, when they travel to his town into his house church. He gave them the mic. He gave them provision, presumably meals, maybe clothing. Maybe he washed their clothes for them. And even as they left town to go to their next spot, he might have traveled the road with them a ways because they might not know where they're going and they didn't have a GPS. And so he has a history of that. He's sending them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Interestingly, 3 John, I believe, is the only book in the New Testament that doesn't mention the word Christ. But I want you to see that Christ is... The end game of this hospitality. Verse 7 says, For they have gone out for the sake of, what? The name. Doesn't that remind you of Peter's words in the book of Acts? He says, Neither is their salvation found in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So even though the name Christ doesn't appear in 3 John, it's at the very front and center of why we do hospitality. We do it in a manner worthy of God. We do it for the sake of the name of Christ. And we send people out who serve Christ fully provided for. Have you experienced that? I'm sure many of you have. I certainly have. But they share their treasure to advance what matters. What is it that matters? The good news of the gospel. What is your treasure? Maybe it's your man cave. Ladies, maybe it's your kitchen. I think we tend to think of our home as a castle. The problem is, in our castle, in our culture, we have... Uh, Security systems in garage doors with remote controls. Have you ever had that experience? You want to say hi to a neighbor? And, oh, they're coming home. Here's my chance. The car goes in the garage. The door goes down. Lost that chance. What do we do? The Word of God says, absolutely. Do your kids stain the other person's carpet? Absolutely. Do you burn the toast sometimes? Absolutely. Does the meal not come out quite right? Sometimes it doesn't. But you see, if you look at the motives, that it's the purpose of advancing what matters. I mean, in a thousand years, really, what difference is it going to make that you have a big stain on your carpet in the living room? I mean, what difference is that going to make? When you've been with Christ for a thousand years, and that person that stained the carpet that you loved enough to welcome into your man cave, into your refuge, 
trust in Christ because they see a sermon lived out in real time at your table. Man, that carpet stain, <laughs> it's not really a big deal, is it? It's not really such a big deal. Here's what Lucian of Amasada, a Greek philosopher, said as he looked into this thing called Christianity. By the way, he was anti-Christian. But as he looked at this, he said their founder, Jesus, taught them that they should be like brothers to know to one another, like brothers to one another, and therefore they despise their own privacy and view their possessions as common property. Instead of being selfish about their goods and their property and their power, they share with one another, not only with one another, but with all who have need. End of quote. And that point of that is not that we have to share a common purse. That is not the point. The point is that we would even wonder about this because our world today is so privatized. And then we've gone through a worldwide pandemic, which has caused us to be more isolated. Sometimes, yes, out of sheer necessity and love of neighbor and family member because of our love for their health. I get that. But our culture in the 21st century has increasingly become all about my privacy. And I think this passage tells us in sending them out with enough supplies to get to the next leg on their itinerant journey. In fact, if you didn't show hospitality in that day, they would die. They would get perhaps waylaid by a thief or someone with ill intent. So it tells us a bit how to host, and then it tells us who were to host, because in this case, it says they were strangers, right? They, they weren't strangers in the sense that they weren't Christians. They were Christians in this case, but they didn't know these people. They had a letter of recommendation, and they show up in town, boom, open your life, your home, your meal table to them. And so it kind of broadens our thinking about hospitality, right? Here's the way we think in New Braunfels, Texas in 2021 about hospitality. It's Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner. We break out the turkey. We bring over the relatives. We watch the football. We get stuffed. We have apple pie and pecan pie. And we sit around and say, why did I eat so much? Hospitality. Because the concept of Christian hospitality is welcoming strangers. You understand that you and I were estranged from God? We were estranged from God. And we were once enemies of God. And when we believed in Christ as a free gift of God's amazing grace, He seated us at His table so that we can have a meal with Jesus, as it were. What an amazing thing. That formerly, though we were estranged from God, we became His friends. We sit at His table. And so when we open up our lives and our homes and our tables and our meals in the normal rhythms of life to people that maybe we don't feel so comfortable with, don't know so well, don't speak the same lingo as we speak, it pictures the amazing truth of the gospel in a powerful way. So why do we host? For the sake of his name. We do it in a manner worthy of God. We do it as fellow workers for the truth. 
We're just one link in the bigger chain. By the way, that chain stretches around the world. It says that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And that thing has just kept growing, hasn't it? It's gone from that first century world of these house churches in Asia Minor. And it has spread throughout the entire earth. And Jesus is building his church. And you and I get to be a part of that. We get to be a Gaius. We get to be a Demetrius in that chain somewhere. Well, there's a third. Wish we could stop the sermon there, but there is a third point. And you can write it down. Gospel community thrives when hospitable people watch out for the me first. And this was a big me first. Capital M, capital E, on steroids. Guy by the name of Diotrephes. In fact, if you don't see it, you won't believe it. But let's read it again because I think we need to try to get our head and hearts around this a bit. He says in verse 9, I've written something to the church. So this is John. He's in another location. He's writing to this church that Gaius is a part of, commending him. For his hospitality of traveling itinerant evangelists and teachers, oh, you can't ignore it. And it comes in the form of Diotrephes, who likes to be first or to put himself first. And it says Diotrephes, but I don't think, by the way, I don't think Diotrephes is a heretic. There's no evidence that he's teaching a false gospel, but he's doing what he's doing maliciously, and he's doing it to denigrate the welcoming of strangers in a massive way. Look at it. So if I come, this is John, if I come physically, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I mean, this is bizarre. If you didn't read it, you just wouldn't believe it. Because John in 2 John says, don't welcome heretics because we got to protect the flock. But here, Diotrephes, because of his pride, he wanted to be King Me. He's getting on Gaius. He's smearing the name of John and his associates. And he's even going so far as to say if there's anybody in his house church that welcomes one or more of these traveling itinerant teachers, he's saying, tell them to leave immediately or I, Diotrephes, is gonna, I'm going to kick you out of the church. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so John feels the need because this is such a public, serious matter. He has to deal with it publicly. There is a church discipline that's biblical, right? You know, at Redemption, if you see a serious sin or a doctrinal error in the church or division in the church, it's motivated by sin. The elders are called upon to, at some point, I mean, you know about it private, you deal with that in private, and at some point it may get to the elders. There is a time for church discipline. That's another sermon. This is anti-church discipline. This is bizarre. If anything, Diotrephes himself. I don't see anybody at redemption like Diotrephes. So the easy thing is, is, okay, we'll just explain that and then move on to the final point. But I want you to, first of all, before you do that too quickly, just think about this. 
watch out for the me first in all of us. Because I will tell you, Ben Dowdy struggles with pride. And I will tell you, and this may sound arrogant on my part, that each and every one of you struggle with pride. Because this side of heaven, the best of men are men at best, and the best of women are women at best. And we do, let's be real, when we open up our lives and we open up our homes and invite people into our inner private world, we want them to be impressed by our marriage, our food, our table setting, the big backyard, and the way our kids behave. Do we not? And we don't necessarily always want that for the reasons we read about here in verses 5 to 8, for the glory of the sake of the name of Christ. We want people to be impressed with King Me. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to set us free from King Me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says that Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. So don't say, my house isn't big enough, my cooking isn't good enough, and my family isn't impressive enough. I'll wait till my toddlers get into grade school, I'll wait till my teenagers move out of the house, and then we'll start hosting. No, let people into the mess. Let them see God's grace ooze into the cracks and crevices of your imperfections. You know what? That may be the sermon that leads them to the foot of the cross. The very sermon that leads them there. And I think as we fight against this me first propensity in us, a great prayer would be John 3 verse 30. John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Finally, a fourth way that gospel community thrives and it's when hospitable people keep growing in uncommon community. And that is in verses 13 to 15. And it is so easy to overlook this. It was at our staff meeting Last Tuesday that John Rhodes, our director of worship, pointed this out to us that in both 2 John and in 3 John, Elder John essentially closes both brief letters the same way. Look at it. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. He's longing to be with them in person. Let me say this. Look at me, redemption. There is so much body language that an email, a text, a social media post does not communicate or communicates erroneously. And I think John knew he had a big tumor to deal with in Diotrephes. Gaius might be getting a little timid about hosting missionaries with that guy running things. He says, I need to meet you face to face. Body language communicates so much better. I know it's not always possible. I know that. But it needs to be said in 2021 because we've walked through how many years of the smartphone? Over a decade. Our kids today will never know a world minus social media and the smartphone. Some of us tried to figure it out. You know, we parented before, during, and after. 
And then we go through this worldwide pandemic where sometimes we rightly just pull back even more. I mean, I sat in the middle seat in Southwest Airlines every leg of a trip. And, you know, you have your mask on going to see my grandkids in El Paso Wednesday and Saturday this week. And you just don't want to say anything to anybody, right? Because they probably don't want me to talk to them because of the pandemic. So I get that. But I just want you to understand that uncommon community, loving one another, encouraging one another, greeting one another, welcoming one another, admonishing one another, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who weep is always, always best if it's face to face. And that involves opening up our life and our homes in our normal, messy rhythms of life to people in real time. Like I said at the beginning, I had two goals. One is a lot of you are doing this well. Just keep excelling at it. Keep growing in it. Don't lose heart in it. Some of you haven't stuck your toes into the hospitality waters yet. For any number of reasons, it might be pride, it might be 10 other reasons. And you may have legitimate pressing things that I'm not aware of, that your pastors aren't aware of. I get that. But I would say this, start small, start somewhere, and don't wait for the other person to take the first step. (laughs) I mean, in a minute, we're all going to leave and we're going to greet one another. We're going to talk. There's a great next step. You're going to have to eat somewhere. you got to eat 21 times a week. Right? Why not invite someone else into the eating experience? Do you realize that even the gospel invitation to a really lukewarm church in Revelation 3.20 got a dinner invitation from Jesus? Jesus is outside of this church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And what is the next part? I will dine with him or her and he or her with me. (laughs) Think about this. In Luke chapter 7, it says the Son of Man, that's another title for Jesus, came eating and drinking. The kind of people sometimes Jesus hung out with were not people that the religious right were super impressed with, of tax collectors and the sinners, correct? But you got to understand, the invitation to salvation is an invitation to dine with the Savior. And it's all leading towards the marriage supper of the Lamb that we see in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 9. And an angel says to the Apostle John, same author of 3 John, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that cool? (laughs) That's where we're heading. We're just getting a little hors d'oeuvre here as we invite the manifold presence of God into our collective gathering It's a little taste of what's going to go on for eternity. The presence of Christ. So, is it worth it? Because food's going to get spilled on your carpet. You're going to be left with cleaning up. Your pantry might get decimated. Oh my goodness, is it worth it? 
Hey, Redemption, you're doing great. Keep growing. You know, a lot of new people have started coming to Redemption. Don't forget about your friends you already have, but don't neglect the new people. And new people, maybe you need to do like the couple I read about this week. They started going to this church and nobody invited them over. And so they said, you know what? We're going to invite every family over for the next year instead of going to the next church. By the end of the year, they had gotten to know everybody in the church. Now, that may be harder as, we, as God continues to give growth. But we can start small, start somewhere, and we can take the first step. Amen?